So, what have you done when you've gone through difficult times, rough times, tough times, problems in your life? What has brought you comfort during those times? Just think about it. Don't have to answer me, but answer to yourself. Think about it. When you've gone through troubling, painful, difficult times in the past, what sort of things have lifted your spirits? What did you do to bring some joy in your life? Party a bit more? Drink a bit more? Get some substance in a bit more? Did it really help? What do you do when the answers you get from God are not the answers that you were expecting? When you ask God for something and maybe he says, no. Because we think answered prayers means that you ask God something and then he says yes. And he gives it to you. That's an answered prayer. But if you, if you pray to God and you're asking for something and he says no, <laughs> that's also an answer. It's answered prayer. It's not the kind of answer I would wish for, but it's an answer. And what do you do when the answers you get from God are not the answers you would like? Well, welcome to the last message on the series on Habakkuk. To all of you present, those of you watching us online, those of you uh, listening on audio. And it's my privilege today to bring this closing uh, session. About 2,600 years ago, Habakkuk finds himself in a position where God has told him that his nation... Judah, the southern part of Israel, Judah, is going to be destroyed. He's raising up the Babylonians, a people much more evil than Judah was in those days, to bring judgment upon his nation. Jerusalem would be destroyed, and the Israelites would be taken captive to Babylon. But then God tells him, eventually, don't worry, you're going to be there for a number of years, but eventually I'm going to bring judgment upon them as well. And hopefully through this ordeal, Israel will turn back to God. The God of their covenant. And so he learns from God that judgment would come upon his nation. But he also learns from God that the righteous would live by their faith. They would not die in spite of this massive attack, they would live by their faithfulness to God. It's the key verse in this book. Amen? The righteous shall live by their faithfulness. The just shall live by faith, as we know it. It's a verse which is quoted three times in the New Testament, as we heard last week. And so we will find that in this chapter, that Habakkuk, when he, when he, fa- when he faces the fear of what's coming, When he faces the fact that God has made up his mind, and no matter how much he complains, because he complained a lot. First he starts by complaining, God, look at this nation. Look what they're doing. Why don't you you do something about it? It's your people. Sort them out. You're not doing anything, right, God? And God says, hey, 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 Heber, wait. Stop looking just at Israel. Lift up your eyes and look at the nations of the world. Look at what I'm doing. And God begins to unfold what is going on. He says, look what's happening in the world. And look at the Babylons. They're rising up. And I'm going to use them to bring judgment to your nation. <laughs> All of a sudden, Habakkuk changes his tune. He's still complaining. First one says, God, you're not doing anything. 
suddenly says, hey, God, you, you're doing too much, too much. No, you, you can't use those guys. I, I know the nation is evil, but those guys are far more evil than us. You can't use them. No, 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 God, it's too much. <laughs> but no matter how much he complains, he realizes that God has made up his mind. He's going to bring judgment upon the people. And so what, does he, what would you do <laughs> in that situation? What do you do when you're facing difficult times? What do you do when you're facing trouble in your life? Do you do what most of us do? Oh, God, no, no, that's not fair, God. And you complain and you tell 50 people and you, and you cry and you bawl and you squall and you get mad. And... What do you do? What Habakkuk did, because this is a lesson for us here today, guys. Because what Habakkuk does is totally out of the box. What Habakkuk does is he begins to sing songs of salvation so as to encourage himself and prepare for what is coming. And so, part five of this series is called Songs of Salvation. Songs of of salvation. Now, I don't know where you are in your journey today. How is life treating you at the moment? But I know that sometimes, no matter how devout you are to God, sometimes in our life, we face trouble. Things go wrong. Maybe they go wrong physically, health-wise. Maybe they go wrong job-wise. Maybe finance-wise. Maybe relationship-wise. Maybe at work, maybe at home, I don't know. Sometimes in our life, we face hard times. And life may look uncertain. You may not know how things will turn out. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, some things in those times, all we can do is stop and remember God's faithfulness and goodness to us in the past. And begin to sing songs of salvation to encourage our spirits so he can call out on God and remain trusting. And this is what happened to Habakkuk. We're going to take a look now at the last chapter of Habakkuk, chapter 3. And it's, it's almost as if this chapter doesn't fit here. Here we go, chapter 1 and 2. All this dialogue, this conversation between him and God. And then we end chapter 2 and God says, just everybody be quiet. I am God. And creation must stop moaning now and become quiet because I am God. And in that quietness... Habakkuk begins to sing. Now, it almost seems as if it does not fit here, but yet isn't that a fitting response to what has been going on? Because suddenly in chapter 3, we, we find this, this beautiful poetic chapter full of reminders of God's faithfulness in the past. And then a vision of God's future as he brings victory to his people, as he brings judgment upon the nations. And then, at the end of the chapter, some of the most faith-filled verses in Scripture. Much of this chapter or, or some verse in this chapter are often used, either in praise or intercession or in seeking for revival. Now, those who are fluent in Hebrew, I'm not, okay? I can say Hebrew, that's it. But those who are fluent in Hebrew, they say that the whole book 
is actually a poem. The whole book is written as a poem in poetic style. But those who understand the language, they say, this book is written in such a rich language. That's why we are led to believe that he was uh, one of the Levites, that he was part of the temple, that he, he, he did accent, because he understands the temple language. And, and he's got a beautiful vocabulary. And it's actually this third chapter. It's a work of literally art. It's got cadence. It's got groups. It, it, it's got rhythm. It, it is amazing in the original language. Now, it gets lost in translation, and you don't catch as much as that. But we need to try and understand what is going on here. And so he also, because it's a poem, sometimes it's difficult to, to, for you to see clearly what he's writing. Because in this one chapter, he refers to a whole bunch of events which happened in the history of the Jewish nation. From Abraham till they became a nation. He recounts those things. And what he's doing is is encouraging himself by remembering God's faithfulness in the past so that he can put faith in God now and trust him for his future. You get that? We need to learn that and do it every day, especially when you face hard times. When you have communion, like we had last Sunday, that is what you're doing. Today, you're remembering what you did then and remind ourselves what he's going to do again. And because of that, we put our faith in him now. And we keep on believing. Jesus died, was buried, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. But he's coming back again. And we are going to be united with him forever. So therefore, today, I will keep my faith in him. And in difficult times, it is important for us to remember what God has done. So let's read Habakkuk chapter 3, starting with verse 1 and 2. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigionoth. A very well-known word. We say it every day, right? Oh, Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. Come on. Think back of chapter 1 and 2. After hearing what God is about to do, wouldn't you be afraid too? If you're living at that time in that land. Hmm. And so he says, oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. So they say, God, the things you've done in the past, in the midst of these years now, please, <laughs> revive your works. Do it again, Lord. We need you now. And they listen to this. In wrath, remember mercy. Because God's wrath is coming upon his people. He's using that evil nation to manifest his wrath upon his people. Listen, <laughs> we, we, we love to sing, oh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, he's love and he loves us, but God is also righteous. And as I've read to you in one of the previous messages, he will not let the guilty go unpunished. When the guilty will not repent, they will be 
punished. When a nation will not repent, the nation will be punished. And the problem is, because of the unrighteous, the righteous also suffer. Hello? Happens to us on a regular basis. This country is suffering because of the unrighteous. And it doesn't matter if you're a good citizen and you pay your taxes and you don't hurt anybody and you don't steal. Guess what? We still suffer because there are people that do those things. And then we're going to get caught in the fray. And so he's saying, God, okay, I understand. These people, they've turned their backs on you. They've committed spiritual adultery because they've gone after idols and pagan gods. And they've broken your law. They don't care about you anymore. They're not obeying the laws you gave us. And understand, God, your wrath is going to come upon our nation. But God, please, in your wrath, remember mercy. Now, although it says there a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, actually, this verse number two is the only part that is a petition. Because the rest of the chapter is just a song of praise, exalting God. But hang on, isn't praise and worship part of prayer as well? So prayer does not always have to be, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Uh, it can be, God, thank you, and I worship you, and I praise you, and I remember, God, what you did there, and I pray, God, do it again. Amen? And so it is. Now that funny word right in the beginning, Shigionoth. Now, Shigunoth defines that this chapter is actually a song. This chapter is not to be read, it's to be sung. So for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to sing this chapter for you, okay? No, I won't. Imagine that. But Shigunoth defines a certain type of song. And by the way, we know it is a song because if you go right to the last verse, verse 19, it says, to the chief musician. Why would you give a chief musician a poem? So that the chief musician can sing it and put it to music. And it says, to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. He wants guitars, man, guitars, all right? And then he stringed instruments. Now, this Shigunoth, we don't know exactly what it means. But and it's only used in the Bible here in plural form and in Psalm 7. David also used that term. In, he uses uh, the, the same word, but in it, it's, it's a singular form. But, yeah, in plural. But, and and both, both, both Psalm 7 and this uh, chapter of a year, they're similar. They, they both talk about, about judgment, and they talk about victory, and they talk about, about deliverance, and they talk about praise, all right? And so, by looking at the meaning of Shigunoth and how it's been used and how it's used then in, in, in other, other settings back in those times, um, the, the scholars have come to agree that on Shigunoth probably meant with impassioned triumph, with rapidity, or with abrupt changes in tune. In other words, this one was not a slow song. No, it was a vibrant song. It had rhythm and that changes in cadence. It was, it means to praise with strong emotion and impassioned triumph, like we do here sometimes. Amen. We sing out and we raise our hands and that's the kind of song which this chapter is supposed to be. 
in the middle of fear, in the middle of the guy is trembling, he's shaking in his boots because of what God's about to do. What does he do? He breaks forth in a triumphant song and he's worshiping God and he's praising God and there is rhythm and there is cadence and then you change. And it's wild, man. This is a wild song. Amen. Now, the thing, listen carefully. The thing that the enemy wants, the devil wants to do in our trials, when you go through trials, or the devil wants you to get you off focus. You're going through trouble. Wonderful. Look at your trouble. Look how terrible it is. Look how bad you are. Look how good those people are and how bad you are. And the devil wants to take our focus and put it directly on the problem so that you feel worse than what you should, that we feel bad, we feel broken, we feel useless, we feel worthless. We feel like nobody cares. Nobody loves me. Nobody needs me. It's a downward spiral. And that's what the devil wants. And what does he do? It, it, it takes our strength away and makes us apathetic. Apathy, apathy is defined as the absence or suspension or suppression of passion. You go so low that eventually you don't have emotions anymore. You're so drained. You can't smile. You can't cry anymore. You can't lie. It's just you're finished. And that's what the enemy wants. You see, the Shigionoth is the praise that resists the trials. You enter, you choose to sing a song of praise. You choose to raise your voice. You choose to move your body. You choose to raise your hands. You choose to declare what God is saying. It resists the darkness and the spirit of heaviness. Shigunath basically says, there may be a storm coming and there may be a storm around me, but I won't let it get into me and destroy me. I will bless God and rejoice in the Lord all times. In verse 2, he has accepted God's judgment. All right? He says, I've heard your speech. That's it. Okay? Yes, I am shaken. I am afraid. But Lord, revive your work. Revive your work. Revive your work. Now, this passage, this verse, <laughs> is often used by believers today when they get together, especially prayer warriors, okay, when they want to pray for revival. This is word, God. I mean, I've been here for decades. The revival is coming. God is going to bring a revival to that. <laughs> revival. Um, and so we quote this verse. Oh, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the, Make your works known, Lord. And we use it and we pull it out of the context and we say, God, please come and do what we are not willing to do ourselves. God, come and change this nation. God, come and break the corruption. God, 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 God. Uh, you see, if you want this kind of revival, you better be prepared for this kind of tribulation. Because as Christians, we want God's revival in the midst of our comfort. Lord, bring revival. But don't make me do anything, God. I want to have money, comfort, nice house, nice wife, nice kids, nice everything. Good job, good salary. Don't work too hard. You know, 
I have nice clothes, nice shoes, nice car. But God, do something wonderful. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. Those things are not bad. What I'm saying is this. We don't want to do the hard work of doing God's will when he asks us to do his will. When, when I was, and then we want God to do everything. As I was meditating on this, I was reminded of a, a little poem. When I was in high school and I was having my little personal revival, uh, I came across a poem, then I put it to music. I'm not going to burden you with the music, but the lyrics goes like this. I knelt to pray, but not for long. I had too much to do. I must hurry off and go to work, for bills would soon be due. And so I said, I hurried to pray, got up from off my knees. My Christian duty now was done. My soul could be at ease. All through the day, I had no time to speak a word of cheer. No time to speak of Christ to friends. They would laugh at me, I feared. No time, no time, too much to do. It was my constant cry. No time to give to those in need. At last, it was time to die. And when before the Lord I came, I stood with downcast eyes. Within his hands, he held a book. It was the book of life. God looked into his book and said, Your name I cannot find. I once was going to write it down, but never found the time. Hmm. When we read that, so I laughed. First I chuckled, <laughs> very good, very good. I said, hey, wait a minute. What am I laughing about? This could be me. And things began to change in my life. And I began to get flack from my friends because I started opening my mouth in school. And I became known as the Domini, the preacher or the pastor. All right? So I suppose those guys were actually prophesying over me one day. Because at that time I had no desire to be a Domini or anything of that sort. Here's the point if we want revival, We are the ones that need to change. The whole point of this persecution, of this judgment upon Israel, was to revive Israel. Revival is happening right now in many parts of the world. But you don't hear about it. Because you know what it's happening? In lands where the Christians are persecuted. In those countries, there is a church which is being purified. There, they don't entertain Sunday-only Christians. There, to receive Jesus Christ, to be baptized in water, means literally risking your neck, risking your life. Because he found out, you could die, literally. And in those places, the church is thriving. The church is growing. People are turning their backs on, on communism and all sorts of other ism, isms, on Islam and so on. They're turning to Jesus, but they've got to do it quietly. When they get together, a shignoth will, will sound like, la, 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 Because if the neighbors hear it, they could be imprisoned. But the church is growing. The word is going forth in a very dangerous way. So be careful when you pray for revival. You don't know what you're going to get. Be very careful. Amen? Now, once Habakkuk asks God to revive his work again, he describes some of God's previous works in the next verses. Verses 3 to 7. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. 
We'll get back to that word just now. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He, he had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. You see, in poetic language, what he's doing, I'm going to be very quickly. What he's doing here, he's describing God taking his people out of captivity of Egypt on the way to the promised land. That's what he's talking about there. If you look at those names, go and check them on, on the old map. He's using names of the places where the people of God traveled through, journeyed through. Where the nations trembled with fear at these guys. Where God literally put fear in people. Like when Jacob had to travel back to, you know, to the place to Bethel. God literally made people afraid to come near him. He was traveling to dangerous ways. Him and his whole family and, and, and everything else. God put fear into people. And, and when he appeared in the mountain, the mountain trembled, the mountain shook, there were ball, lightning bolts. He, he's describing this in poetic language. He's reminding people of what God did. He's remembering God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's works in the past. And this verse, verse 3, contains the first of three selahs in this chapter. The other one in verse 9 and 13. It's a word you, you see commonly in the Psalms. And it is widely understood to mean to pause and meditate. So in other words, when you're singing the song, when you come to a cellar, what happens is you stop singing. The music goes on. They continue playing, but you stop and you think a little bit about what you've just sung. You meditate on it. And then you respond in your own words. It's very much what happens here sometimes while you're doing praise and worship. The music continues playing, but the words go off the screen. And that's your chance to Selah, to think a little bit about what you've just been singing and to maybe worship God in your own words, respond to what you've just heard in your own words. Selah, amen? It's a thing which is done in the Psalms and should still be carried on and done today. And so the music continues, either gently or allowing time for personal worship or building up and reflecting the victory of Jesus. It depends on the song. In this particular song, the, the music would continue in, in, in strong rhythm, maybe declaring God's victory, the strings building up, building up, and, and you, people just stop singing and think about it and maybe use their own words, maybe to remember things had God, things God had done in, in their lives. In a time of uncertainty, Habakkuk is finding firm places upon which to firm his faith. He's remembering that God had told Abraham in Genesis 15 that although his descendants would be servants in a land not theirs for 400 years, God would judge that nation and bring them out. And he's talking about, he's singing about that judgment over here. And so here's the question. Where has God done good deeds in your life in the past? Hmm? If you are in a troubled season, a season of trouble, perhaps it's time for you to stop and remember what God has done in your life. I certainly can stop and I can think of what God has done things in my life from my childhood, even before I remember myself. I've heard from my parents and I've heard the stories of how God dealt in my life, how he brought me through stuff. And then after I remember myself, there's been a number of times I know God came in, he brought me through. 
I'm alive here today. I'm walking here today because of God's goodness. I've got two kids today because of God's goodness. Amen. I've got a great wife because of God's goodness. <laughs> I'm telling you. It is God's goodness. And I know, I remember, I was there, man, <laughs> when God came through. I remember how I felt. I remember how I pleaded. I remember how I prayed. And today I can look back. And that's why I said the other day to you guys, and the things I say sometimes when I go to schools, that I don't believe that God exists anymore. Because now I know that he exists. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, you've got to go from believing to knowing. Amen. Just like I know that that lady back there is my wife. I don't believe it. I know it. <laughs> Amen. So where has God done good deeds in your life? And then the following section is, 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 a, is a picture of God as a warrior. He is still remembering what God has done, but suddenly he's also indicating what God's going to do. Prophecy has this kind of thing. Prophecy can sometimes have two things going on at the same time. And here in this next section, he's looking back, but he's also looking forward. And not only to what God is going to do for Israel and to Babylon, but listen, to what God was going to do at the end time. The time that is still to come. The time that you and I are probably living in, and maybe some of us will get to see what is, what's going on here. Let's go. Chapter 3, verses 8 to 15. Oh, Lord. You were, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? You see, he's painting a picture of God as a warrior, as a victorious warrior, taking charge of stuff. Water and seas in that time was a, a picture of something feared, something mystical, something unknown. Here it is, God just walking through it, marching through it. Like he owns it. Because he does. Amen. Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Salah. Pause and think about it. Huh? You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. Overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land of indignation. You tramped the nations in anger. When he says about the nations, you see, he's not just talking about Babylon. He's talking about the nations of the world. So you see what he's doing here? It's a prophetic thing of what is still to come. You went forth for the salvation of your people. Who is he? He's an Israelite. He's talking to God about your people. Who is he referring to over here? The Israelites, the Jews. Today, the church is his people. But the Jews are still his people too. So guess what? Look what's happening today, guys. Both Jews and Christians are getting more and more in trouble from the world. I'll get to that just now. But God is going to bring judgment and protect his people, both the Jews and the Christians. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation of your anointed, for salvation with your anointed. So God comes with the anointed. Who's the anointed? Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Amen. The anointed one. You struck the head of, from the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation from the neck. Selah. Stop and pause. 
Who's the head he's talking about? Historically, he was referring to Pharaoh, the head of the nation. And God struck him and took his people free. In the future, God is going to strike the head of whom? The Antichrist that will be holding the nations captive. And will set his people free. And will bring judgment upon the nations. Selah. Think about it. Pause and think. You thrust through with his own arrows, the head of his villages. They came out like the whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the pouring secret. And it's amazing how the wicked rejoice over the fall of the righteous. You've seen those throughout history. Political leaders, they topple and they laugh at the ones that lost. You see now how the Islamic Palestinians are laughing at what happened in Israel. Huh? It is a thing that's happening in the world. It's an evil thing in the world. You see, we think this battle up in the Middle East is a physical battle. It's, between, it's not between nations, guys. It's a spiritual battle. You remember that. It's not about Palestine. It's not about Israel. It's about the forces of evil and good. The Spirit of God and the people of God and Satan's attack, trying to destroy the people of God, as has been doing for thousands of years. It's not a 70-year-old battle. It's a battle going back centuries, millennium. You walk through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great water. So, he's using now again, because see, things in the past can serve as shadows to future events. And that's what he using, a number of incidents pointing to what is going to happen in the future. Amen? And so, he's singing victorious song in a time when calamity is about to come. Although he's in trouble and about to face more trouble, he's singing. You know why? Because his hope is in God. Remember that incident in the book of Acts when Paul and Silas got chucked into prison? They went to Philippi and then they prayed over a demon-possessed girl and she got delivered and so they got chucked into prison because those guys lost their business. They got chucked into prison unfairly, unjustly. So what did they do? Oh, they sat there and complained, right? No, they sat there and sang songs. Songs and hymns to the Lord. Maybe they sang this song too. I don't know. But they're just praising God in the middle of the night. So an earthquake comes. They get set free. They lead the jailer to the Lord. And then later on, years later, Paul is again in prison. And he writes a letter to the little church which had started in Philippi during that time when he was imprisoned over there. And from prison, he writes to Philippi. And what does he tell them? Philippians chapter 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. How on earth does a man sitting in prison get to rejoice? Huh? How does he say that? How can you say, when it seems that your world is crumbling down, how can you say, I rejoice in my God, I rejoice in the Lord? How can you say that? You get your eyes focused on the goodness and the greatness of God. God is greater than your situation. God is great in those people. God is great in those finances. God is great in that. He is great. You've got to focus on Him. Worship Him. Praise Him. Obey Him. Rejoice in Him. Hallelujah. Sing about that. Habakkuk 3.16. When I heard, my body trembled. <laughs> He's referring back again. Remember he said in verse 1, you heard and I was afraid. He's referring back again to what he heard in chapters 1 and 2. When I heard, my body trembled. Now he's going even in more detail. 
The guy's shaking in his boots. So when I heard my body, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones. And I trembled in myself. And he says, that I might rest in the day of trouble. Like I wish I, I didn't have to be there in the day of trouble. I wish I could escape. I wish I could be somewhere else. <laughs> Don't you feel like that sometimes when you go through a tough time? Oh man, I wish I was somewhere else. I wish I could be somewhere else. And he says, when he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. He's referring to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. When he comes up, he's going to invade. But then, he goes then, in spite of that, in spite of the realities to come, his faith is in God. He's gone from fear to worship and to praise. His faith is established in God. And what follows is one of the most powerful songs of faith. Listen to this. Chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. Listen. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, grapes. Though the labor of the olive may fail, no olive oil. And the fields yield no food, no corn, no bread. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stores, no milk, no butter, no cheese, no meat. Well, the vegans and vegetarians don't mind very much, but the rest of us. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like a deer's feet, and he will make me walk on high hills. What a song of faith. And, and, and someone has said that yeah, these, these things, the first three that he talks about are, are luxuries. You know, figs and, 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 and grapes and, and olive oil. These are luxuries. But the rest, you know, the corn and the meat and the milk, those are necessities of life. And so he's saying, with or without luxuries, with or without the necessities of life, even though, even though I may lack in these things, I'm still going to rejoice in God. What is your choice today? Are you ready to rejoice in the Lord even when your comfort is challenged? Are you still willing to trust in Him? There is a God who exists even in the midst of our trouble. He's still God. He doesn't change. Habakkuk's peace and joy no longer were dependent upon his circumstances or the welfare of his people. No matter what happened, nor what God chose to do, Habakkuk could still rejoice for his hope and faith and joy were in God alone. And he knew that in his time, God would deliver the righteous and fulfill his covenant promises. Until then, God was the source of his strength. And he would sustain him in the dark days ahead. A humbled Habakkuk now realized that it was God who lifted him up and gave him sure footing in hard times. May this be us in the times we're living in. May this be us when we face difficult situations, challenges, uncertainties, pain, loss. May this be our attitude. Lord, I don't understand what's going on and I don't know what, what is going on and why you're doing it, but I trust you, Lord. You are God. You will ultimately take us through. You will be with the faithful ones. The Lord, I'll be faithful to you, my God. I will trust in you no matter what. And so may we be able to honestly state as Habakkuk, that our hope is in God alone and not on the things of this world. Embedded in this song is an end-time prophecy of God overcoming the Antichrist and his forces who will gather against Israel. Now listen, church. What happened? What happened? Around 597 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar did come 
and lay siege of Jerusalem. Tens of thousands of Jews were taken captive to Babylon. There they faced immense pressure to conform to the Babylonian way of life, their religion, their ways, their beliefs, their systems. Great pressure. However, they managed to keep the law of Moses. They managed to keep their dietary restrictions and their faith while in Babylon. It's amazing. Once something is taken off away from you, all of a sudden you remember it. And those guys are not obeying God in their own land. Suddenly in a foreign land, when they are forced to worship idols and to do everything against God's law, all of a sudden they turn back to God. And they keep their faith. They keep their law. They keep their diet. They keep their faith. From the prophet Isaiah, we know that God helped them to prosper. In fact, God told them, both houses, get married, both families. I'm going to, and, 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 and bless wherever you are. That through the, the city being blessed, you'll be blessed. And we know they prospered in Babylon under captivity. So much so that when later on, when they were given the chance to go back home, when the Persians took over and sent the Israelites back home, most of the Israelites remained in Babylon. <laughs> Life was too good over there. God had blessed them. It was so like, why go back home and start all over again? I'm fine, yeah. I've got my family, my house. And they stay there. Amen. Listen, church. Jesus is coming back. Times are getting tougher. And we can still expect things to become even more difficult for Christians in the days ahead. As you probably have noticed, the world's becoming more distrusting and more antagonistic of all things Christian. The things that we believe in, the things that... God desires, the laws of God, the principles of God, the things which 40 years ago was wrong, today is right. Today, the law defends those things. You've got to be careful what you say in certain places, otherwise you could be challenged. And it's going to get worse. Because people are choosing evil. People are turning against God's moral law. They're turning against God's principles. They want to preserve tradition. They want to preserve all sorts, all sorts of things. Preaching God to a non-Christian tribe very soon is going to be a criminal act. I can't go to a people that don't believe in God and, and preach Christ to them. No. I'm going against their, 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 their laws, their traditions. I'm invading them. I'm, you know. And, and so it's become that way. In many parts of the world, it's really like that. You cannot. In, in Brazil, there's a law now that you can't, missionaries can't go anymore into the Amazon and evangelize the Indians because now you're breaking their tradition. How's that? And so uh, we are going to face this, guys. And what are we going to do? Are you going to just give in? Or are we going to stand firm and trust the God of our salvation? Believing that ultimately Jesus is going to come and is going to deal a definite blow. And it's going to be the ultimate authority. It's going to deal with all human things. If we believe the end time Bible prophecy, we cannot expect this to get better. At the same time, as Christians, we should have the greatest hope and expectation of all people. Because we know that history is his story. And it is going somewhere. God's remarkable design is unfolding. The period of darkness is temporary. And soon the night will give way to a fresh morning. Amen. And this new day will be characterized by a reign of righteousness where Jesus himself will reign the world from Jerusalem. The king of righteousness. Habakkuk saw this vision and he wrote it down so that he could rejoice when it comes to pass. 
So the Israelites could go back when they came back from Babylon and say, oh, Habakkuk said this, and it happened. God is faithful. And because God was faithful to them, we know he's going to be faithful to us. And you know that what is still to happen will happen. And we can then be faithful to God. The same God who strengthened Habakkuk will also provide similar strength for you and me as well. Question, do you believe this? You guys watching? You guys listening? Do you believe this? Remember, the righteous shall live by their faithfulness to God Almighty. Let's stand. Let's pray. I hope this series has been a blessing to you. Thank you for some of you have given me some, some feedback, either personally or through the media. And uh, I pray that this has been enlightening. You know, it's, it's a side of God that we don't like to talk about very often. But uh, it is important to understand. God is a loving God, but he's a righteous God. And he will judge the nations. He's judging the nations already. But there's more to come. We need to be on his side. We need to be faithful to him. And we need to rejoice. And let us sing songs of praise and of worship. Let's remember what he has done in our lives. What he has done through history. And sing it back to him as we encourage ourselves to stay firm until Jesus returns. Father, thank you, Lord God, for these meditations, for these times we've spent in your presence going through this book. Lord, thank you for your encouragement to us. Thank you for what you've done for us, my God, in years past. And we know that you will be faithful in the future. Therefore, Lord, we will trust in you today, my God. So thank you for blessing everyone here present, everyone online, everyone listening. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, and for your favor, Lord. And so now may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit continue to be upon us, enabling us to sing these, these wonderful, vibrant songs of adoration, of praise and of worship to you, Lord God, as we put our trust and, your, and our faith in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Good. Praise. Give him again. Amen. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your week. Those that want to be baptized, grab yourself a cup of coffee and then we'll meet in front here just now. Amen.